0: Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from one million to one trillion. Today's guest is Alex Bisbe, the CEO at WISB. Alex, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Mike, for inviting me.
0: It's a pleasure to to have you on the show. You are one of the first uh, entrepreneurs in the tech ecosystem in in Barcelona, and I'm sure that the community will enjoy a lot to, to learn from you. Uh, also, because of my connection with uh, with the city, uh, the opportunity with, of working with uh, several scale ups there. Uh, but first, let's get to know more about yourself. So, who is Alex?
1: Good. Uh, thank you, Mike. Um, Alex, I'm Alex bisbe I'm um, originally from here, from Barcelona. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I started Bisbee uh, back in 2009 with uh, José Luis Cantero, the the other co-founder and uh, CTO of the company today. Uh, I'm coming from so my bang, my background after working in several you know, different industries. I'm, I spend part of my time working in the uh, contact center industry, running a 1,000 employees contact center uh, in Barcelona and Madrid. And yes, and that's where I got the idea to create Wisby.
0: So now we are curious, uh, what is Wisby? <laughs>
1: Yes, bits uh, a video first conversational sales platform. What does this mean? So uh, we are helping large corporations to increase uh, online sales and assisted sales directly from their website, connecting with uh, humans with sales representatives that's what we do and we believe on live engagement and we believe on video first okay so everything we do it is uh, with video communications and everything we everything we do it is live engagement in real time obviously
0: sounds pretty interesting and uh, give us a little bit more kind of numbers and a little bit of a sense of the growth stage for the audience that is listening us um, to get a feeling about where where the advice or lessons learned uh, come from. What is the context that it comes from?
1: Right. Yes. So, um, with with um, close to a hundred uh, employees company, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, customers in all continents right now, mm-hmm. uh, big uh, and a strong presence in North America, being U.S. our largest market. Awesome. Um, Um, as an individual, you know, market. So the company, in terms of size, it is close to 10 million US dollars of annual recurring revenue. And uh, we, thank you. And we grew last year uh, more than 100%. So it's a, we are in a high growth scenario uh, company. So yes, a three digit growth um, company right now.
0: Congratulations, that's quite awesome as I like also to remind the the audience and every single entrepreneur that I work with, just 4% of all companies gets to 1 million ARR, uh, just 0.4% to 10 million and 0.04 0.04 to 100 million. So you are already at 10. So you are part of the 0.4% club, which which shows how difficult what you have already achieved uh, is. So congratulations. And especially this year, again, with uh, being able to double uh, revenues in such uh, an interesting environment to be in, uh, it's, it's quite uh, appealing. So let's let's learn from you and uh, we always discuss these three critical ingredients to scale on the show. so number one, radical focus, number two, world class leadership and number three, a culture of execution. starting with radical focus uh, of course kind of starts in a enterprise setup. Uh, it's not an easy thing and sometimes we go through kind of, the SMB uh, segment, and then we go up markets. But kind of keeping the the company serving both segments uh, can be quite challenging. So what has been some of your lessons learned? Did you start uh, from the scratch with enterprise? Did you move into enterprise and then decided to focus? So explain a little bit more, how do you decide to really assure that the company is focused and, and moving into enterprise? And what were the the kind of of the lessons learned, the kind of setting up the enterprise model
1: for Wisbe. Yeah, sure. Um, we've been in enterprise since day one, so and I think the 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 origin of this is, is uh, because of our background. So we're both coming from this uh, contact center world that I mentioned, working for uh, enterprises, banks, uh, financial institutions, uh, insurance companies, um, um telecom operators this kind of company. so I think you know because of our experience on um, on this industry uh, and uh, and also because we tried our first mock mock-ups, our first uh, projects in in the in, in enterprise organizations I think that was the you know the reason why you know uh, we continue with uh, with uh, enterprise. enterprise. yeah
0: got it. That's a very good point because it already kills a lot of complexity of the need of needing to go from a SMB-oriented business into an enterprise-oriented business or having to serve both segments, which are so different one from another, that creates a lot of complexity very early on. And especially when we see companies discussing this, it's around 5 million ARR, right, which which can create... A gap in terms of growth to the to the ten million ARR and later to the twenty million um, ARR. What are some of the lessons that you that you would share in terms of building the um, the enterprise uh, sales motion? Yeah,
1: um, that, that's there, there is one that it is uh, very important in the enterprise world that it is uh, being um, industry oriented or instead of um, geographical oriented, okay? So I think when we we started as the majority of the startups, you start to tackle first your local market, right? Mm -hmm. Differing industries, local market, and the energy and time that you lose by tackling the wrong uh, industries, it can be massive right Mm -hmm. so uh, when you tackle enterprise you need to understand very well the value proposal that you are offering to your customers right Mm -hmm. Uh, you need to sell a business case not a software you need to sell a result an outcome right so and when you have a good result and good project in one industry with one specific customer it is way more easy to sell it within the same group in another country or to a competitor than opening another industry. So for me, in this idea, I like this concept of radical focus. I will say that the radical focus for enterprise, it is to focus very well on the industries or the verticals that uh, makes more sense for your product or where you have experience or where you have business cases. And then you, at the end, you are selling these business cases to other companies. And this has, uh, we didn't start like this with this uh, focus, Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time and money, and when we decided to go uh, uh, to follow, you know, verticals, yep. uh, the performance increased dramatically. The ROI increased dramatically. The customer acquisition payback uh, improves dramatically. So that's, for me, you know, the main uh, learning on this um, on this field.
0: Got it. I think that, that's that's a very good point, And I think it's very aligned with the kind of the Eden champion strategy where you want to be the best in the world in a specific niche across the world. And you are just focusing on a vertical. You are the best of the best in that vertical, whatever, wherever you are. Uh, but of course, you can also bring some focus in terms of uh, geographies to attack um, first. But sometimes there is a huge fear to kind of double down on a specific industry, or I would even say more, even to double down on three industries instead of one. So I've kind of learned along the way that instead of challenging the CEO to go from 10 to five or from sector agnostic to uh, one vertical, the good way to start moving is it's to try to say, look, let's let's start by targeting free. Verticals and testing out what are the verticals where we can have the best fit, and then let's have the courage even to double down and go to the next uh, stage of focus. And um, so, this is part of the process that you that you have followed, or or did you have already in mind that this this was the vertical that I want to pursue, and it was banking or it was contact centers. So, what was your experience there?
1: Well, no, the experience was. Um... As, as you mentioned at the beginning, so we, we tried different industries, we tried different verticals and and when we found you know good business cases exactly. where, where we have seen you know that the uh, real value is where we um, it, uh, then we we, we we switch our uh, sales strategy to tackle this uh, these industries definitely. So and we decided to to tackle uh, two, like very, you know, like uh, intensely. And then, uh, you know, then we have a group called Others where we have some industries that are, you know, relevant for us. And, uh, but we always keeping, we we keep all of this group of Others as, um, um, as a lab, exactly. So where we can see new trends, new ideas. And then when we see one vertical within this lab, that it is working really well then we put the you know Again, the we push I mean, the, the industrial throttle
0: process <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> correct i i love it because it's kind of the the mindset of keeping the agility of a of a of a startup and the focus of a scale up right so keeping both mindsets in place and there are some teams that are working in the scale up are super execution mode measuring all the metrics, trying to optimize the process as much as they can and working on the repeatability and the profitability, and the scalability. And There are some of them who are completely out of their mind, looking for trends, looking for experimentation, seeing what can be the next opportunity of the company, but without the pressure of kind of following those metrics, those milestones and being able to double or triple that specific uh, vertical. I, li- I like the combination of the other because... I think it's also for entrepreneurs. It it helps them to be uh, to feel less the fear uh, of doubling down on a specific egg, right?
1: That's correct, totally.
0: So I, I love the. I think that's a great takeaway for this conversation to have a kind of one two. I always say that if it is always better to be one, especially in the beginning, then you can start increasing another vertical. But kind of if it feels. You, if you feel more confident with that, which is important for an entrepreneur, have a third one or a second one, which is other, where is where it is your your love. That's that's a very good one. Something really really interesting to um, in in the case of Wisby, Alex, that you have mentioned before, is uh, that US is your largest market. So for any company uh, coming out from Europe. Uh, this is one of the, I would say, the major paths that all wish to. Um, I would say that the exception would, might be the ones who need to go more into an European strategy because there is a very strong American competitor and it doesn't make sense to battle with or to fight with that American competitor face to face in their uh, domestic markets. So some of them prefer to go much more the, um, the European uh, path in terms of aggregation and being at a good size than to compete with a US competitor or even being acquired by the US competitor uh, later on in the game. But I would say that in order to scale up, typically the dream is to really being able to land in the US and with a 300 million population market, uh, being able to, with just one currency, one language, being able to scale uh, much faster, but this process is also very very painful for the majority of the cases and sometimes it can have a consequence Which is the death of a Alfie company in Europe um, So it, it's very difficult to also find the timing of attacking that market So what are some of your lessons uh, and, and those lessons work quite well because now that's your number one market
1: Yes um... Yes, U.S. Uh, represents uh, around 30 plus percent of the total revenue today. And, uh, and we are forecasting a more than 50 percent this year will come from the, from the U.S. market. So absolutely, um, the U.S. is a very important and a uh, strategic market uh, for us. I mean, but the path to achieve that has not been easy at all is an extremely difficult market. So we started uh, to tackle the US market in 2017 uh, by opening an office in the Bay Area in Menlo Park, hiring a team there, team of uh, account executives, SDRs, uh, customer success managers. And by then, we had one big customer in the US only. the project was uh, a big failure, so um, the access to talent, to talent in, in the Bay Area is extremely difficult. You are competing with um, incredible companies, uh, salaries are uh, extremely high, um, attrition is high, um, and uh, and the starting, you know, without a, a strong customer base, uh, it was extremely challenging. So I think one of the best decisions that we have taken it was for mo- to move from uh, uh, to move the team uh, from the west coast to the east coast, mm-hmm. and uh, and and start to sell uh, from Barcelona, where we have the culture, the team, the methods, the uh, you know uh, the company culture. Uh, and getting more traction in the US before um, doing um, a big investment. So we did that. Uh, We hired a a US team based in Barcelona Mm -hmm. and um, and a customer success team based in the East Coast to manage the uh, few accounts that we had by then. And then we started to see uh, fantastic results. Uh, Good results in terms of sales, being able to acquire customers there, and good numbers in terms of retention and scalability with uh, within the customer base. Um, uh, we invested a lot in communication. We traveled a lot, uh, a lot of physical meetings before obviously the pandemic, um, a lot of, uh, um, you know, um, calls with, uh, with our team there. And that was the, you know, that was a game changer. Um, today, we are in a phase where we are moving part of the US team to to, you, to the US. I mean, a team that is based today in Barcelona yeah, to the, to the US, um, and we are actively hiring in in the US market. Also, another you know important decision it was uh, the East Coast uh, location. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Despite that we have um, employees working from home and uh, in different cities, we wanted to have a hub to where a place where we can concentrate, you know, the majority of our employees and and where we can have, you know, one day uh, face-to-face meetings. Mm -hmm. And that location, it is Atlanta, Georgia. We have selected Atlanta, Georgia because several reasons, number one, uh, access to talent there are very good mm-hmm. tech companies in that uh, city like sales loft for example and exactly. others that's uh, reason number one uh, reason number two uh, in terms of cost uh, it is let's say acceptable um, so it's on average uh, for for, Especially- for the U.S.
0: Compared to New York and, and
1: Boston, right? Absolutely, you know it's uh you know it's very more it's way more competitive than Boston or New York, definitely. Um, and there is another reason that's that in Atlanta, uh, there is the uh, third largest, so, sorry, the 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 largest airport in the world. So uh, I mean, so there is a great um, connection. So fantastic connections to travel everywhere. So easy for us uh, to travel from Barcelona to Atlanta or vice versa. Um, so these were the, the reasons. Uh, the, the, and also being there is also very well appreciated by our customers. We have customers mostly in the telecom industry and automotive and um, and they're always, you know, ATT digital team is based in Atlanta. The, the HQ is in Dallas, but the digital team is in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daimler Group, uh, the uh, U.S. HQ is in Atlanta. Um, um, Moxie, which is one of the largest digital agencies uh, in North America, is based in Atlanta. So Atlanta is, is quite a big digital hub for enterprises as well. So, I mean, these were the reasons, and and we are very happy uh, with that uh, and uh, with that decision and we are scaling very well in north america right now it's, because
0: of this with very interesting brands as uh, coca-cola and uh, as well yeah. and cnn and and i think that delta is also uh, based out uh, of atlanta right in terms of I think so, airlines yes. so it's it's Definitely a, a very interesting and refreshing perspective because we always think and listen about New York and and Boston when approaching the um, the East Coast and of course you have mentioned also the two hubs in the West Coast which is always at the to stay in the Bay Area or to go to to the city in in San Francisco maybe sometimes discussing also Seattle right as, as an option in 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 the West Coast. Uh, but it's it's quite refreshing and a quite takeo- interesting takeaway to consider to have an app like um, Atlanta. Good, good point. You, are, you have also mentioned something interesting, which is really important for radical focus. And um, that I think would be interesting as well for everyone that is listening to us, which is kind of when we are in the lab and when we decide to double down on what works, radical focus, then it, Understanding that the U.S. market is a very important market to attack, and, and kind of double that, double down on that market with with significant resources, because in both ways it might be a failure on the first time. But you also invested a lot in terms of the team that you have uh, sent to the U.S. The problem there, and I think that lesson from from what I learned from you now, it was really that the customer base was not strong enough. To, to go so early to the to the west coast so to the east coast you follow a different strategy first the time zone difference six hours to Barcelona instead of nine hours to the west coast assured you to have kind of a two three hour time frame to to work between Barcelona and uh, and the east coast second acquiring more customers and a stronger customer base uh, from Barcelona and after that really having a CS team in place on on the field to have face-to-face meetings with the clients and being able to retain them and leverage on the acquisition efforts. But something that might help us to double down on what is the niche that or the vertical that we want to pursue is is really this metric of net revenue uh, retention. Uh, Are you able to explain a little bit more about why it is so important uh, to you as well?
1: Well, um, yes. I mean, uh, customer retention and revenue retention It is the most important KPI for any uh, software as a service company. I mean, it is uh, it is uh, number one. Um, Several learnings here, Um, because retaining customers is more important than acquiring customers. Uh, um, When we moved from the west coast to the east coast. The first team that we hired in the East Coast it was not a sales team; it was a customer success team. I love it. So, um, and I think when some, when you, when when a company wants to start a super, you know, competitive market like the US or the UK, um, I think it is extremely important to invest in customer success, at least at the same time that you are investing in sales. Because as soon as you get the first customers, you need to have a team ready uh, to maintain those customers, to scale with those customers. This is extremely important. We have done this. um, uh, And when we had a team of customer success and customer support of five in the US, we hired the first account executive in the market. So five between cs and support local support then the first uh account executive in the country
0: um i think the the pdrs in in barcelona correct
1: yes bdr for for it um you mean or, well, or I call it SDRs, no? Okay, exactly. It's the same, right? Okay, yes. So yeah, we call well, it SDRs. of course the experts
0: might might be able to explain this better. It's it's not my specialty, but uh, yes, it's the, the SDRs. Yeah. Will be for me
1: it's slightly different, but but anyway, yes. Uh, if we're talking about SDRs, SDRs yes, in in Barcelona, I mean to generate meetings, um, you you don't need to be uh, uh, in in that place. I mean, with that, there are tools like. Uh, uh, sales loft or bluebirds or other, you know, solutions that you can connect directly uh, with um, okay. um, with prospects. Uh, and you don't need to have the team, you know, in one specific location, right? So th- definitely. Yes.
0: Uh, so you would have just to summarize and sorry to interrupt you, Alex. It's kind of having the SDRs uh, in the headquarters in, in Barcelona um then acquiring the customers and having a team of 5 in between customer success and support and only after that uh, uh, hiring the first account executive
1: yes exactly on the field on the field that's correct
0: got it that that's a, a good point did, did you wanted to so you were saying about the importance of especially for for any SaaS business or I would say for any business in the world not only SaaS Uh, if you are not able to retain customers it doesn't make any sense to acquire uh, customers because the business is uh, not sustainable Uh, and you were kind of proving the importance of retention uh, not only by your words but by your actions and that you invested first in CS before investing in hiring account executives And um, I also wanted to highlight the importance of using the net revenue retention or the retention engine of your revenue machine to decide to double down on a vertical. So if you have a higher net revenue retention in banking instead of uh, manufacturing or instead of contact centers or uh, automotive, uh, you should double down in the sector where you have a higher uh, net revenue retention plus ARR uh, growth. But net revenue retention should be the first metric, not the second, right? I
1: I totally agree. I mean, um, why net revenue retention um, includes two things, right? So that you need to maintain customers and then you need to upsell to customers, which means that it is the way to measure the value that you are providing to your customers. So, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, zero churn doesn't exist. That's a reality, right? So churn is going to. Uh, SaaS companies we always have uh, churn. Well, obviously, we need to minimize churn, but also we need to uh, scale with with the accounts that are more happy with it and they are seeing more value with it, with uh, with the solution. So uh, this uh, value needs to compensate the churn, and then this is a very important exercise. So um, mm-hmm. you need to have a strategy where. I mean, you need to tackle your existing customer base by providing more features, by providing more value, by providing more services. Um, And and I believe that uh, having an uh, active selling uh, strategy so that you are selling all the time something, adding value all the time to your customer base is extremely important. Because this will drive you, the most important kpi which is the net revenue retention because if you are continuously adding new things to your customers they will appreciate it and they will you know stay with you so the churn will be reduced and at the same time you're going to generate additional revenue with your existing customer base so the combination of both it is what gives you the magic number of an net, net revenue retention or net dollar retention okay
0: exactly And it's kind of adding the ARPA to this equation. Uh, It means that with the same amount of customers, if you are able to increase the ARPA, you can grow the business to the next stage uh, of growth. Uh, So kind of can go from 5 to 10 million or from 10 to 20 million just by increasing the ARPA. I mean, by being able to add more value to each of of your customer base, instead of defocusing yourself in terms of acquiring new customers outside of your sweet spot which so it's it's a question of prioritization again we need the lab we need to test out new avenues of growth but we can't put 80% of our resources in the lab we need to put 80% of our resources on what is already working right
1: Yes, correct. We need to put eighty percent of the resources in the eighty percent of the business, and we you can put twenty percent of the resources in twenty percent of the business. So um, that, 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 <laughs> that, that 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 that's for sure. Um, and on that sense, I think uh, I think something um, uh, extremely important um, it, it is this. Um, um, this uh, average revenue per account incremental that you mentioned, the ARPA, you know, uh, incremental. So we we scale our ARPA from sixty k in twenty seventeen to eighty uh, k annually, uh, you know, and in, um, in at the end of twenty twenty, wow. um, by by adding value, by you know, understanding. Uh, cut. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying every day to 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 our customer success uh, team, it is find problems, speak with customers. I mean, we need to understand their problems because every time that they share with you a problem, we can we can put a solution and this solution will generate additional revenue and higher stickiness for us. You know, mm-hmm. um, in our case, we have a campaign that it is not performing well, whatever, then boom, we have a solution. I mean, we can integrate this, we can integrate that. Um, and this is, uh, this kind of mindset of being all the time, proposing new things to customers, uh, it generates real value, uh, to them and, um, and increases the average revenue per capita. So, uh, as a, as a, as, um, learning here, um, uh, I think, as you mentioned, it is more easy to generate revenues with your existing customer base than with a new customer base. Um, so, le- I mean, it is extremely important to squeeze the accounts and to, to get the maximum uh, because they, they will appreciate it. The, the customers will appreciate it as well because they will see more value Absolutely. on what you're offering.
0: So which, which kind of introduces, uh, and we, have, we are already doing a mix of all the free critical ingredients, which is amazing. Uh, we are much more team oriented today in our uh, conversation, which is kind of having the team working together to generate value to the, to the customer. So it's, it's this culture of customer obsession, customer centricity, customer value. If we make our clients successful, the company will be successful and it's not a, it's a kind of an NPS that will generate a revenue target uh, and it's a revenue target not a sales target and that's that revenue target is created by a job done together by CS by product by sales and by marketing not only by sales and this will also create a, a culture of teamwork a culture that. We need to make our customers successful. We need to help them solve their problems. We need to deliver value. And if we do that, it's legitimate that we ask a shank of that value. And it will be impossible to not be successful if our customers are successful.
1: This, this, well, this that you have uh, described, it is extremely important. So um, do you, uh, we need to align uh, not only sales we need to align customer success and we need to align product uh, engineering um, marketing of course especially for companies that like wisbe that we tackle enterprises uh, the marketing that we do it's account-based marketing so okay. we need to dedicate around 20 to 25 percent of our marketing budget to existing customers so uh, i mean uh, this is Could very the,
0: the percentage alex between oh, 20
1: that's... to 25 percent Love it, because this the you know uh, if you invest part of your marketing budget on uh, on keeping. Um, the customers they need to see that they are investing in something that it is the future it is working it is something that also their competitors are doing their um uh, other other markets are also adopting solutions like this so you need to promote that you and you need to start with your existing customer base so the alignment all over all of these areas is essential mm-hmm. and i will say that this is the key Uh, of success of the um, biggest uh, enterprise uh, SaaS companies today. It is this alignment that uh...
0: Absolutely. That's why we see the emergence of the chief revenue officer to kind of coordinate efforts and to assure that Somebody, if the CEO is not able because of the lot of roles that the CEO needs to play in a scale-up, is not able to align those people or doesn't have the time and the energy to assure that everyone is on the same page, at least that that person is accountable to create that revenue machine that adds value to, to the customer. Also, because sometimes it depends on the profile of the CEO, but the CEO might be much stronger at fundraising, might be much stronger at communication, strategy. But doesn't like too much to to go into the building the machine, right? So that, that's why again it's really important to, to I, understand I, this is a team job, not a, a one one man job, right? Uh,
1: totally. I mean, um, this this strategy it requires a massive amount of coordination. So um, on that sense, you need to have someone full time dedicated in a very high level in a C level. Just to do this kind of coordination, mm-hmm. um, and this is something we are promoting in in, in our company uh, to have this level of coordination um, with uh, daily stand-up meetings, where you know we are synchronizing on a daily basis all the um, high-level decisions. Right?
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, and we don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but but it requires. A lot of dedication in terms of uh, like consistency, right? Every single day, we need to do a little bit of this every single day, and then uh, we we can keep you know this um, this uh, the, this level of uh, coordination and, and and the execution of of all of these areas um, will be aligned with uh, with the same objective, no? With the same OKR at the end, no? Exactly. Uh, for the company.
0: Just to conclude this topic and move into into the next one, the conversation is being amazing and I, I feel that it would need two hours. Uh, so but just wrapping up this, this this takeaway and kind of doubling down on what what you shared with us, Alex, is one of the issues that I see working with leadership teams is really that building that revenue machine, which is critical to go from the five to ten, or even from the one to five and from the 10 to 20, it's it's always the machine that needs to be fine-tuned and refined for each stage of growth as a retention engine and an acquisition engine. And both the retention and acquisition engine needs a job done together by marketing CS products and sales, both engines. Because usually what we focus on is on the acquisition engine. So acquisition engine needs to start with a marketing engine, uh, with a sales engine, with a CS engine, with a product engine, I would say, again, don't forget that the retention engine needs exactly the same. So as you were saying, marketing should start with your retention engine before going into the acquisition engine, because then they can document the value that you are providing to the customers. And as a consequence to new customers in that vertical so by just documenting the success and the metrics that you were able to deliver, you are already creating inbound and account-based marketing to provide new leaders, new leads for the future. So it's with the current customers that we generate the referrals and the new leads for the acquisition machine. And usually people think marketing, it should be to acquire new customers, even using account-based marketing, right? But we forget that, as you said, 25 or 20 to 25 percent and we can even challenge that more at a certain stages of growth of the company should be doing for marketing in the retention engine not in the acquisition engine of the revenue machine
1: i totally agree i mean um what, what, what can i what can i add to this um look um we um I, I see, you know, on uh, a lot of uh, SaaS uh, blogs uh, that they talk about uh, sales and acquisition and acquiring new customers. I mean, to be honest, acquiring customers, it's it's a very hard work, right? It's extremely difficult. But to, to do, you know, retention uh, well, it's even more difficult. So um, because... And one thing that I'm saying to, to, to my team also on a daily basis is that if a project goes well, do not relax. You need to continue adding value because if a customer is silent because everything looks like it is working well and the KPIs are good, that's not a good sign. So uh, you need to be, uh, the, the 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 customer needs to be in continuous communication with you. Sometimes even if the KPIs are not good, but you see engagement on the other side, it looks like you are driving you know this this project to the right place, right? So I mean, you we can never relax on the existing customer base. We need to continue you know add value, because uh, in in the in the world of innovation that we live today, uh, a new director, a new manager, a new decision maker can come and can change things. And if you are continuously adding innovation, if you are continuously adding value, um, the probability to retain that uh, customer increases dramatically. And then this will open doors, uh, you know, to acquire another customer. And I totally agree with the idea of that the marketing team, they need to document all of this success and they need to explain it internally and externally. So good point. That's that's um, that's the main responsibility for a B two B enterprise marketing uh, team. That they need to do the first thing they need to do is account based marketing. And the account based marketing, it is explaining business cases, right? Creating mm-hmm. content just for you because if you are a director of a, this specific company in this specific industry, you want to read content about this a specific you know role. And if someone can provide this specific content that you are, you know, uh, waiting for, then um, then the possibility to connect with that, uh, we connect with that uh, guy, increases dramatically. Uh, and uh, and at the end, one thing that uh, our um, senior vice president of sales always says that, in, if you tackle one industry, how many decision makers are you going to have in the world? Mm-hmm. Not more than thousand thousand you can reach all of them in LinkedIn
0: exactly
1: not in one month, but I mean you know what I mean Absolutely. but if you if you have bad reputation with them, I mean with one, two or three, with four, this um, this can collapse the entire Absolutely. the entire you know uh, industry right? So Absolutely. so in that sense, I totally agree that, this is objective number one for a SaaS uh, organization.
0: Love it. So we have covered radical focus. We also covered world-class leadership. But we also covered a little bit of rituals and the importance of the coordination across the, the revenue seats. Um, I would like to highlight a final topic before we go into the last uh, question of the show, uh, which is... And it's related with the main topic that we discussed today, really the importance of retention over acquisition and how retention can fit acquisition, which is the beautiful part of of the discussion that that we had, which is when the, the machine is not in place, you can send a lot of money to the machine and the machine will not be fixed. So you need to create the machine, you need to create the playbook and the different playbooks that... Retention playbook and within the retention playbook, the sales playbook, the marketing playbook, the CS playbook, the product playbook, the engineering playbook, and the same for the acquisition uh, engine. So there is a lot of work to create the machine and to fine tune the machine for each stage of growth. So which means that it is also important to find out the momentum and the moment that the machine needs more cash and will be capital efficient to burn that cash in a way that will generate growth in a way that it's really capital efficient. So, and that's why sometimes it's good to not be completely obsessed about raising a round every 12 to 18 months. So there are moments that raising a round can be the worst thing that we can do and that can create a pressure that goes against building a revenue machine and can make unsustainable the scaling up process even the the valuations of uh, upcoming rounds, and and managing the investors, managing the stakeholders, managing the momentums, understanding the timing for each round, it's I think it, it's 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 something very very difficult, and usually we only learn after <laughs> after doing that. So what what are some of your lessons about when is the right moment to raise, when we should not raise, uh, what are some of your lessons learned that?
1: Yes, I have a strong opinion on that, and. Um... There are different type of uh, CEOs uh, or startup companies where their main goal, it is to rise as much as possible to have more financial capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not the approach that I recommend or this is not the approach that I followed. Um, In my opinion, we need to raise capital, you know, when we have no other option. When, uh, when we need it, when uh, obviously uh, uh, startup companies and SaaS uh, companies, we need equity. We cannot grow only with, uh, um, uh, with a bit or with uh, debt. Uh, yeah. This is not possible. We need, we need equity. Mm-hmm. But equity is very expensive for funders, it requires a ton of dedication, it takes a big distraction for uh, the uh, investors. So, in my opinion, uh, we uh, companies we need to uh, we need to close rounds when it is needed, and uh, and for me, you know, when I see you know a company that raises a lot of money and uh, people say you oh, know congratulations fantastic work I mean, I think what we need to celebrate is revenues, not uh, not uh, fund, ra- fund raisings, you know. Um, what we need to celebrate is a good net revenue retention, a good percentage of growth, a good customer base, a good NPS, you know, yeah. customers providing good NPS. Mm-hmm. These are the objectives for the company, not to rise as much capital as possible because this has a, you know, at the end, uh, usually, well, they are super successful startups that they don't have this problem, but for uh, normal uh, so you know, like, let's say, you know, regular uh, successful startups um, or scale-ups, um, we signed uh, deals with, uh, uh, with liquidation preference. So that means that you're putting a threshold for your exit, you know, for the same amount that you have, uh, for the same amount of equity that you have uh, closed. So this also, uh, it, it's something that, I mean, um, Entrepreneurs that need to they need to take care that uh, uh, rising capital it is extremely expensive for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so in my opinion, we need to rise. Yes, uh, in the last moment, in the last minute, uh, when you and also when you have clear, you know, KPIs, not before. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't have good neighboring retention, if you don't have good growth, uh, work on this first. Because if not, you're gonna spend a lot of time and effort um, in the market, trying to get an investor uh, without any success. And then you're not getting the growth, you're not getting the retention, you're not getting the equity. So that will mean a very difficult situation for the company.
0: Kind of, in other words, don't get into a situation that you will have no cash, because with no cash, you are out of business. And second, uh, don't raise if your machine is not working and if your business is unhealthy, because you will burn cash um, at an expense of your own equity in in the wrong direction. So, and it will make your life even difficult, even more difficult in the future. Right?
1: Totally. And, and my continuing with this, uh, I mean, there is one rule that we broke at Wisby, and I think it, it is uh, it is important that it. Um, there, uh, there is a rule that says that a SaaS company needs to uh, grow year over year in a very high percentage, because if not, the company collapses, right? Mm-hmm. This is not exactly true. <laughs> I can say, uh, I can say that um, we have passed a period without growth, uh, making the company almost profitable, very close to break even. And preparing the company for better, you know, uh, for a better scenario, you know, exactly. uh, for to, to get better winds, you know, uh, 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 and, and then, and this can happen. Um, so d- don't worry if you need to fire people, if you need to reduce cost during a period of time to, to improve your EBITDA, to uh, just maintain your customer base, that should be the main focus and then you will have more opportunities, you know, and then you need to take those opportunities to scale when, when the company is ready, when your team is ready. And um, yes. And there's always good momentums that you need to, that you need to take. Right. So I would say that um, this is, this is important to, to be able to manage and don't ask for equity to your investors when things are not going well, because this will jeopardize the uh, relationship. So it is better to, you know, reduce cost, uh, and wait for the thunderstorm to disappear.
0: Disappear. This is a very important point is, again, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And there are some, some moments along the way that we will face those walls, those growth ceilings, that it seems that the machine doesn't go into the next stage. So that's when typically we need to make changes and those changes will require effort, time, determination, courage, persistence and to follow your inner voice. Those are the moments of truth. So don't get tempted to go into the shortcut because everything will come to be paid later on. So do the right thing and take the right approach until you are ready again to overcome that growth ceiling. And definitely, this might happen a lot of times along the scaling up journey. It depends on the ones that want to exit it a little bit earlier or later. But if you want to go to 30 or 50 million, it's normal that you will face at least four or five times along the way those growth ceilings. So it, it is never as the book says, right? That's, <laughs> I think that's, that's a, totally that's a good point. <laughs> that's totally true. So be ready because you are building your own resilience and the second growth ceiling and the third growth ceiling would be easier and you'll be in much better shape, much better control, much better resilience and much better communication skills to communicate with your team that will be in self-doubt, with your investors that will be in in self-doubt or doubting yourself. And even in that relationship with ourselves that we start also as entrepreneurs and as CEOs doubting if we have the skills to go through those moments, and that's when everyone, including ourselves, is doubting about ourselves. That we need to be able to stay through all the cur- all the all the path and 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 get into the other side of the wave, right? <laughs> totally. Love it. And we get into the final question. This was a special and long, very long episode, Alex. So, congratulations.
1: <laughs> thank Apologies you for... for the audience.
0: <laughs> I think that I really love it and I let it go. So, final question is, if you would have the opportunity to meet Alex for coffee at the beginning of Wisby, what advice would you offer to Alex in that coffee?
1: Um. Yeah. I think I'm not very good, you know, in advices, but, um, <laughs> uh, uh, but if I will, I would say one, um, that it is, uh, to invest on customer success professionals since they want, mm-hmm. I mean, to not underestimate the, uh, customer success, um, responsibility, um, Because I think we, uh, entrepreneurs, we always want to invest in sales, in marketing, in acquisition, in product. This is quite obvious, right? But it it was not that obvious that customer success was that important for me at the very beginning. And and we didn't start with uh, professionals. So it was good people, super smart people, without experience on CS, doing that job and This is not what I recommend. I recommend to hire someone with the not only with the skills, also with the experience on 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 that on that field. That uh, when we did that, uh, we we saw remarkable improvements. So that will be for me, you know, the recommendation.
0: So final takeaway: if if it doesn't work the first time don't surrender, there is the right person for the right seat. And uh, don't doubt that there is that person. It might require a little bit more of work, a uh, little bit more of experience, but you will get there again. And you will know when you find out the right person for, for the right seat. It, it will be magical. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Totally. Alex, thank you so much for making the time. It was really a pleasure to host you on, on the Skelet Palation.
1: Mike, pleasure for me. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me and has been super easy and helpful and, and fantastic. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. And to our community, as you see, we keep bringing you the best of the best to help your scalar business from 1 million to 1 trillion with a lot of frankness, openness, and talking about things that are not in the books. See you soon and keep scaling.